back in the 1600s when Catholicism was illegal in England after the Reformation era, there was a priest, Father Gerard, who wrote in his autobiography of a hunted priest that after being going around saying masses in people's homes secretly, hiding in priest holes, eventually he was caught, imprisoned for a couple of years, and at one point he was transferred to the Tower of London where he was enduring much torture, great torture that he didn't think he could really endure. And at one point he gets put into a cell where he saw these words, this graffiti in his jail cell there in the Tower of London, which read, Quanto plus afflicciones pro Cristo in seculo, tanto plus gloriae cum Cristo in futuro. In English that means, the more affliction we endure for Christ in this world, the more glory we shall obtain with Christ in the next. This past Thursday, we celebrated the ascension of the Lord when Christ ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father to fully enter into his glory. And St. Peter in our second reading says, there will be a time when Christ's glory is even more fully revealed to us. But what does St. Peter say in his first letter? Rejoice to the extent that you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that when his glory is revealed, you may also rejoice exultantly. If you want to share in that same glory of Christ, St. Peter is saying, then we also need to share in his suffering <coughs> as members of his body. Like Father Gerard, that might seem daunting. That might seem like too much for us to endure. But when Jesus ascended into heaven, he said that he would be with us always, even until the end of time. We have other words, like when he told St. Peter, even the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And in our Alleluia verse, I will not leave you orphans, says the Lord. I will come back to you and your hearts will rejoice. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father in glory, in his full majesty, in his power. And he is there to intercede for us. He gives us a hint of that intercession in his last discourse, his last words the night before he died. At the last gospel, or at the last supper, we hear in our gospel today from John, this high priestly prayer it's in John 17, whole chapter basically of Jesus praying <coughs> at the last supper. <coughs> and it parallels the high priestly prayer of the high priests in the Old Testament on the Day of Atonement, a great annual sacrifice in which the high priest first sacrifices, he prays for himself, then he prays for his household, his priestly sons, 
and then he prays for all of Israel. And Jesus parallels that in his high priestly prayer. He prays first for himself, and then he prays for his apostles, his disciples, and then he prays for all of Israel. And he is praying that we might all be one with the Father, that we might share in eternal life. And he says, this is eternal life, that they should know you, the only true God. Not to be ignorant of God, not to reject God, but to know him, and in knowing him, then to love him. And in loving him, then to serve him. Jesus is calling us to share in his glory, in that Father's glory. He wants us to be one with him. Jesus is there interceding for us. He is that great mediator between God the Father and all of mankind. You know, we can think of all those, uh, you know, kind of maybe situations in which you are wishing you had some kind of connection to get you through something. Maybe someone rich, someone powerful, someone to get you out of a sticky situation. Well, we all have that person. We have the King of Kings, Jesus, who is right there on the throne of the maker of the universe, the one who is all powerful, the one who is all good. And Jesus will do anything for us in order to have us be united to the Father. As we said in our responsorial song, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom should I fear? We have nothing to fear if we are with the Lord. That's why Jesus, you know, was so adamant about in this image of the divine mercy to pray, Jesus, I trust in you, to be that the inscription of our hearts. Jesus, I trust in you. To take refuge in his sacred heart, which gushed forth down to the last drop, an ocean of mercy upon the whole world. It's also important then to pray, as we hear from the Acts of the Apostles, right after Jesus was ascended, you know, what happened after the ascension? There was a time of waiting. The Holy Spirit had not yet come. It was 10 days later. And that's why we're praying the novena to the Holy Spirit, that first novena to before Pentecost. And that's what we have with the Apostles. So even our, you know, our devotions, like novenas, are scriptural going all the way back here to the beginning. We have the 11 apostles with different disciples, Mary, relatives of Jesus, 
120 disciples in total praying in that upper room. And basically, they're waiting. You know, oftentimes waiting is an important aspect of our, our spiritual life. You know, think back to the Old Testament, how uh, Jacob had to wait seven years for his wife, Rachel, or Moses, after fleeing Egypt as a prince of Egypt, he waited decades and decades before he saw, Jesus, uh, before he saw God in the burning bush. Even Jesus waited, you know, 30 years before his public ministry. Waiting is an important aspect of our spiritual life. And it's one that, uh, going back to those words inscribed in that jail cell in England, in that Tower of London, the man who wrote those words was St. Philip Howard, <clears throat> one of the highest nobles in England at the time, but was arrested for converting to Catholicism. He was only 28 years old, and after being arrested, he never saw his wife and children again, never met one of his, uh, his last child, his youngest child, was born after he was imprisoned. <clears throat> and that suffering he endured was difficult. He wrote so, but the 11 years he waited before he died was a time in which he developed spiritually, growing ever closer to the Lord. He eventually died of uh, dysentery or uh, some say poison, but that time of waiting was key. And in that time of waiting, we have to make use of that time of waiting with prayer. Praying to the Holy Spirit that we might have that strength to endure whatever comes our way, and praying that our desires are purified, that our desire is not the glory of this world. That's the devil's desire to have his attention and glory now. But we seek something more enduring. You know, the, the sufferings of this life are passing away, but the glory that the Lord has in store for us is forever. And again, that is why we prayed that in our responsorial psalm, one thing I ask of the Lord, this I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life that I may gaze on the loveliness of the Lord and contemplate his temple. <clears throat> In order to have this desire, though, our heart needs to be purified. And what happens when things get purified? You can think of gold, you know, when you put metal into the furnace, you try to get rid of all the impurities, you have to burn it away. And so it's, there's a, a trial by fire. There's that purification by fire. And it can burn, it can hurt, but it's a purification. And so often that is why the Lord allows us to go through purification, through suffering, Again, so that we might enter into his glory. St. Peter calls upon us 
not to get downhearted, not to be sulking, not to be depressed whenever we experience suffering. You know, he does distinguish between the suffering that we endure because of Christ and the suffering we endure because of our own sins. So he says, you know, let no one among you be made to suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a troublemaker. Whoever is made to suffer as a Christian should not be ashamed, but glorify God because of the name that is the name of Christian. And so often in this world, in fact, if we are in this world as Christians, St. Peter is basically saying, we will suffer. And that's why Jesus said one of the Beatitudes is, blessed are they who suffer for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we live according to the way, when we live as Christians, when we live as members of Christ, the rest of the world is going to persecute us because they do not know God and they will reject his ways. Whenever, you know, they see us as different, whenever, you know, we have to answer for our faith, why do we do such and such things? You know, why do we have to take Sunday as a day of rest and come and worship God? Whenever, you know, we can go shopping and go about our business, why, why can't you get divorced and just get remarried without an annulment? Why do you have to uh, always be honest? Why can't you lie, cheat on your taxes? Why do you have to not use contraception in marriage? Why, why can't you have an abortion? Why can't you can go on and on with all the commandments? You know, even for children, you know, why can't I cheat on a test? Why can't, you know, I gossip about others? All these things that if you are trying to live according to the way of Christ, others will persecute you because it gets in the way of what they want to do rather than the ways of God. Jesus, though, is the way, the truth, and the life. And if we suffer for the sake of his name, we will enter into eternal life. And we will enter into that great glory. And like St. Philip Howard inscribed on his jail cell, the more affliction we endure for Christ in this world, the more glory we shall obtain with Christ in the next. Suffering then is nothing to fear if we do it with Christ for the sake of Christ. It's a paradox, really. Why is glory associated with suffering? Because that's how it was for Jesus. You know, Jesus talks about entering into his glory at the Last Supper, and yes, he is talking about his ascension into heaven, but he's more immediately talking about his ascension on the cross. Because in suffering, we can prove our love for the other. Without suffering, you know, 
the things that we do could just be chalked up to self-interest. But the more we suffer for Christ, the more we suffer for God, the more we suffer for others, the more we can prove our love for them. And that is the true glory of Christ sitting there at the right hand of God. His glory is not being all-powerful, although he is all-powerful. His glory is that he is love himself, and he has come to share his love, has shared his love on the cross, and he has called us to share in that sacrificial love of loving God, loving ourselves, and loving our neighbors, even into the utmost sufferings. And in that suffering, we shall enter into that great glory in which there are no more tears, no more suffering, no more despair, no more affliction, no persecution, nothing but perfect glory in that, that blissful communion of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.